Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand that had an impact on you as a young girl? That's a wonderful question. I would say this is a, probably a stupid answer, but probably any fashion brand, because I, I started falling in love with fashion when I was probably 10 or 11. And mm-hmm. we were poor as dirt and we couldn't afford anything. And my mom made my clothes and she, you know, she did a really good job sewing. But when I started getting into fashion and, and watching fits and dresses and looks and textures and heels, wow, I was really like, wow, wow, this is like, I love it, you know? So probably multi-brands, but category is there. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Kelly Cook, the Chief Marketing and IT Officer at David's Bridal, the 70-year-old market leader in wedding attire and magical moments. Get this, one out of three wedding dresses in the U.S. is sold by David's Bridal. Headquartered in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, near my hometown, David's is a private company that runs 330 stores in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Mexico. Kelly has been CMO for about 14 months, and before that, she was the CMO at DSW, Kmart, Sears, and Pier 1. She obviously loves retail, turnarounds, and tough challenges. This is my conversation with the effervescent Kelly Cook. Welcome, Kelly, to the CMO podcast You seem to have a wonderful job working every day with brides and weddings and proms and all these other magical moments. Is this your best job ever? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Um, I would say yes, but I would also say it in context of every step of my career got me to sort of where I am right now. So I've enjoyed the learning process of every role I've been in. I've been really fortunate to have incredible mentors in my career, incredible coaches, people around me that were very selfless with their time and helped me learn. So from that perspective, I've enjoyed every step of my career journey. I am definitely having a blast here though. <laughs> I mean, we are in the love business and it's, it's it absolutely is magical and fun. So from that perspective, we are having an absolute blast. I'm having an absolute blast. Well, speaking about love, I was researching you and your company and everything before this interview, as I always do. And I thought COVID would have absolutely devastated your wedding business. My wife and I were invited to six weddings in 2020. All of them were postponed. We can't wait for 2021 and 2022. But then you seem, you seem to have navigated it pretty well as a company. So tell us about that. Tell us what happened in your category over the last nine, 10 months, and how you and your team navigated that. I'm happy to go there. You know, it's funny. We say internally, you know, wait till 2020 turns 21 and starts drinking. <laughs> I mean, think about 2021, how crazy yeah. that's going to be. But it, it is. And, I, you know, I'm glad that you said that. We, I would say that we probably did 10 years of innovation in 10 months. Uh, but there were there were a couple of sort of key things about our business, James, that made it different. One was our culture before COVID and hurricanes and murder hornets and COVID too and COVID, like all the places that we've been in the last 10 months. Um, our culture was centered around serving her or serving somebody who is bottom line. So that that created a, a sort of a cultural pivot and mindset in our business. Here's, here's what she's going through. How do we serve her now? Okay, now she's going through this. 
How do we serve her now? And that keeping the, the customer center, coupled with the fact that the culture was so strong, we kind of had the best sort of environment to experience and then and then uh, react in a way that allowed us to be successful. So that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is we completely changed the way we were operating our company. You know, prior to COVID, we had, you know, four-hour business review meetings on Monday and everybody brought 100-page decks and you'd go around the room and then four hours later, we're like, do we have action items or do we not? What were, what were the insights here? And because COVID happened and we immediately went to single channel, which meant our stores closed, we had to furlough a lot of our friends in the business, which was, you know, pretty much 85% of the company. We had to operate our business differently. So, you know, fundamental thing happened. One was the culture and the serving, but fundamental thing that happened too, we pivoted to running our company in a very deliberate, scrappy way. So we don't have those big meetings anymore. We're not building big decks. We're just as accountable and we're looking at performance every morning. But the way we were running our business finally changed. So we were able to move so fast from virtual stylus to virtual appointments to 3D and augmented reality to Google business messaging and Apple business chat and vision board. Like the list, there's 25 tools, digital tools that we've launched in the last eight months alone. So that that was we that was enabled because we changed how we were running our business. And I think the three the third thing that I would call out as it relates to COVID is that because the customer was responding to those things so well, it fueled our energy and our passion to continue to do more. And we, we monitor engagements every day and likes and follows and shares and clicks and all of those yummy things that nerdy marketers like me care about. And all of the numbers are going up. And it doesn't mean we figured it all out. We're making pivots every single day, slight, slight pivots on what we're doing and turning those dials to constantly serve her more. So I'm, I am so proud of the team when I think about the things that they were able to accomplish over the last 10 months, because it has absolutely been extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it in my career. You use the word serve her and help her and be there for her. What has this year been like for her? I mean, I've known a bunch of brides who have reacted in different ways, but any non-obvious insights about your customer, the bride, but there's others, but the bride primarily that has happened over the last year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot's happened to her. I mean, a year ago, she would get engaged and it would be one of the most happy, most joyful things. And then she would immediately go, okay, I want to buy my dress and I'm going to get my bridesmaids. I'm going to pick my venue and I'm going to get my wedding date. That's not happening now. Right now, she's like, oh my goodness, I've got to find a venue because COVID brides took up capacity in 2021 venues. So even COVID brides are having to reschedule dates. And now the new brides who are engaged are trying to find a date. So so that, just from a process perspective and in her planning cycle, completely there was a grenade thrown in it. The second thing is there is so much uncertainty. She's she is massively overwhelmed and she's feeling uncertain. And the reason why is I wanted 250 people at my wedding. I can't find a place that'll let me have 250 people. Oh my gosh, do everybody have to wear masks? How do I get my grandparents there? I can't find a wedding to, to uh, venue on Saturday. That means I need to get married on Thursday or Sunday or I need to move my wedding out next year. Oh my gosh, my bridesmaids can't fly because they have quarantine restrictions and they can't come to me to my appointment. Oh my gosh, I can't go to the store with more than two people. I was supposed to go with 12 people, which is me, my mom, and my 10 bridesmaids. Like the list goes on and on and it's on. And it, yeah, it's just like over and over things were happening to her. There was COVID one and then everything was gonna open up in fall. Then there was COVID two, which happened in fall. And then there were massive quarantine restrictions in December, which caused her to move again. So overwhelmed and certainly, and we want to be a place of calm, a place of we got you, a place of we got your back, 
a place of getting lots of value because we just implemented Diamond, which is a loyalty program that's never been done in our category before. And people ask me, you implemented a loyalty program? What do you think people are going to get married 12 times? <laughs> you know, they're going to be loyalty 12 times? No, and we'll go on that in a minute. It's not like that at all. But um, yeah, so overwhelmed and certainly, but desperately trying, trying desperately to hold on to the joy of the whole experience because she's marrying the person of her dreams. Yeah, we're going to talk about your diamond program a little bit later. But before we move on to talk a bit about uh, the personal side of your your life, because I do want to get into that because I think it's really interesting. What what did you do in this culture to kind of let people do what they needed to do to help her? I mean, you had a strong culture before this started, but what did you as a leader and your leadership team do to really reinforce that this is about her and we're here for her, whatever that takes? Yeah, that that's a great question. One is hire amazing people that come to the table with the culture that you want. I remember in my, uh, I had a role a few years back, I was hiring a chief digital officer and I interviewed a gentleman. This was not at David's. This was a long time ago, but I interviewed a gentleman who had bought, excuse me, had launched and sold his own company that graduated from Yale. This guy was so smart. I mean, so smart, so impressive. And I interviewed him for 45 minutes for chief digital officer. And part of the company's strategy at the time was to transform this legacy business into a modern, cool, digital, modernized brand. And you know, with change management, you have to lead by example and you have to show people and get people excited about what the castle on the hill looks like and what the vision is. And I interviewed him for 45 minutes. He did not smile one time. Even when he was talking about his dog, like, oh. how can you not smile if you're talking about your dog? So even, you know, hire, I would say, you know, hiring for, you know, attitude and not yeah. necessarily aptitude all the time. Um, so one, hire great people Two, be very clear on painting the vision for them and then get the hell out of their way. Like, get the hell. They, they got it. Keep them mm -hmm. guided, but don't micromanage make sure everybody else is the hero. Everybody else gets the credit. And it starts to pick up steam, meeting after meeting, interaction after interaction. So it's uh, it's quite extraordinary to watch unfold. We're going to get into all that in a bit, but I want to start with, before we get too far into this, my wife is one of 11 kids and her mom at one time had five under five. And I just wonder, can you relate to that? <laughs> Somebody's been doing their homework. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm famous for that. <laughs> oh my God. This is like the most amazing. I got you, I think. Podcast ever. Yes, you are spot on, my friend. I had a five-year-old and then I had triplets. And then when the triplets were six months old, I found out I was pregnant again. And because I love you and your viewers, I'm not gonna repeat what my husband said when he found out I was pregnant with number <laughs> five. Just trust me, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, I had four under two. That's so sweet, that's so sweet. Now, that, that's several years ago. Are any of those children married? Yes, I have one who's married, and I have one who proposed last weekend. Oh my! Congratulations! Thank you. It's it was it was a wonderful experience, and now I'm living and breathing all these things that we've been building firsthand with my future new daughter-in-law, Miranda. <laughs> so, what insights are you gaining as a mother who is part of weddings now from the experience you're having at David's? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I think, um, first of all, I think the first thing I'm feeling is pride because I know that what we've been building in this journey and this ecosystem we've been building for her is making the process easier for them along all the steps. So that brings me a sense of pride because I know my future daughter-in-law is going to experience all these things that we've been doing. So that brings me a sense of pride. The second thing that I'm excited about is you know, most women, the, you know, the, the, the dress buying process is actually incredibly stressful. 
I don't like my arms. I want my butt covered. I want coverage. I want this. I don't want to bustle. I don't want to veil. I want to, there's so many options. There's so many options. And, you know, I, I can see her, you know, my future daughter-in-law, she's already worried about that. And that also brings me a sense of pride because our expert stylists are relentlessly trained on fit. They fit a woman's body to these dresses and our merchants have modeled fit after monitoring and sizing and measuring and building all these models over 10,000 women. So fit, it, I know a guy probably is like, really fit? I am telling you that is like one of the most stressful things, you know? And the, I think the third thing that makes me so excited is that I know she's gonna be in our store. She's gonna have it on. She's gonna walk out. She's gonna look at herself in the mirror. And we're all going to start crying. We're all going to start bawling yeah. because it's the one. And that whole experience in a store is absolutely extraordinary. If you've never seen it, everybody in the store starts crying <laughs> because it's such a happy moment. So I'm excited about that for her. I have a daughter-in-law who married not long ago to my son, and I wasn't allowed to be part of any of that. But I, I do understand there was a lot of crying and tears and happiness and laughter. Everything you said. Oh, good. I'm good. I'm not going to ask you where she bought her dress. I want to, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know, this is this is horrible. I probably couldn't even tell you. <laughs> You're forgiven. Right. My wife could. My <laughs> wife could. And, and her mother could, of, of course. So I'll get back to you on that, Kelly. How's thank that? you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Let me know. <laughs> so listen, I, I, I do my homework. I know you had those triplets and, and one, it's such a wonderful story. I also think I know what your superpower is. So I want to share that with you and, and have you also react to that. From everything I have seen and read and watched about you, you seem to be the kind of leader who sets the right tone with your people about creativity, about experimentation, and about, yes, failure. So I want to know, do you agree with that? And if you do, how do you do that? And what could others learn from you? Oh my gosh, you are a research man. I am impressed. <laughs> I really am. That's what I do. I am like super impressed because there, I have a passion for risk taking. So somebody somewhere, you've done, you've gotten some good information because that is exactly, you know, it's interesting, you know, seeing people standing back and watching people uh, achieve something that they never thought they could is one of the best parts about being a leader. You feel so good for them because you know how they feel on the inside. And part of the part of what you've got to cultivate is when things are going well for a business and things are strong and you're double comping, it's really easy to like get into this mode where you you're excited and happy but you kind of get safe because you're like I don't want to mess it up. You know, I don't want to try anything. I don't want to take any risk. And that's actually the worst thing because you need them to keep testing things and, and so forth. And I remember at um, DSW, uh, I launched, and I've launched it at every job I've ever had. We launched this thing called CLM Awards, and it stands for Career Limiting Move. <laughs> and and what it, we launched it because I needed people on my team to feel safe about making mistakes because part of risk taking is it's not always going to work out right you're going to have to yeah. try things and i remember <laughs> right after we launched clm boards of course i was the first one on the list as a leader because i was always making mistakes so i put myself on the list first but i had a guy come up to me who works for me his name's scott and he ran marketing emails and he came up to me and he goes uh, you know that whole CLM thing that we just started? And I said, yeah. He goes, I think I'm on the list. And I said, oh, how exciting. Tell me about it. You know, he goes, I just sent an email to 5 million customers that said $50 off a $50 purchase. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I said, I told Scott, I'm like, Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, and here's the thing. Here's the here's the thing that was that was absolutely awesome about it. That email 
that my team had built, the one that ended up going out wrong, we had found an opportunity. We had gotten a liquidation buy from another retailer that had gone out of business, and we got a whole new set of brand names in DSW that we did not sell before. So the opportunity that I had given the team was how fast can we get it out to customers that we have this new product? So they were actually condensing a 10-day process down into 48 hours so we could get the email out to customers faster. So they were doing exactly the challenge that I'd given them. But we condensed a 10-day process down and we missed a QA step somewhere and bada boom, bada bing, the email goes out wrong. But I, I what I told the team was, hooray, like hooray, we, you know, you got something done from 10 days to 48 hours that we never thought we could do. Yeah, it was $50, $50 person, and we'll fix that. And we send a, a, a secondary email and we had honored all of them that had redeemed in that time frame. But the, the point of it is we could celebrate failure in a way and delayer it and understand where we're exposed, but it created an environment of safety around taking chances. And that is, I think, an, a, a crucial part of modern leadership is to create a safe place where people can be themselves, have diverse experiences, come together. We try new things. Yeah, we're going to screw up. Yeah, we're going to send something out and it's misspelled. Like that's going to happen. Uh, but it's truly a remarkable thing. And I'm, again, impressed that you're bringing things up like this because I'm really passionate about this kind of stuff. I love the concept of a CLM award. It's wonderful. It's so visible. It's fun. It, it, it says, says everything about your culture and you as a leader. It's wonderful. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Kelly, I want to now talk about your career path for a few minutes. You've had a rich career already with your two longest stints at Continental Airlines, I believe in Texas, and DSW, the shoe company in Columbus, Ohio. And that was your first CMO job. So how have these two long experiences you had at these two companies been formative for you as a leader? The interesting part about Continental is what I am so, oh my gosh, eternally grateful for is I started out my career at the, the most perfect set of circumstances. Those circumstances were transforming a legacy company into something modern, completely changing the brand from stale to, to also modern and relevant. But what Gordon implemented there around culture um, taught me that systems don't run companies, people do. And it is all about watching sort of ordinary folks do extraordinary things. And his entire model of the go forward plan, it's been 25 years and I can still remember the four tenets of the go forward plan 25 years later. And I'm so grateful that I had that experience because it really taught me the value of leadership, culture, having the right brand, having the right strategy, but more importantly, putting the customer at the center. So everything I've done after that has always been sort of pivoting back to the things that we did right there and learning and growing as a leader off of that. When I got to DSW, it was this incredible, I mean, true love is shoe love. Like, I mean, yeah. women, we ended up writing a book about it that was a New York Times bestseller. I mean, women love shoes. And it was just this raw set of materials that we just needed to make these tweaks. And we ended up doubling the business over a few years. And so, you know, it was a, it was a different type of circumstances. I continue to grow as a leader every single day. And, you know, the thing about DSW, I had a different seat at the table. I had to learn a new set of skills. I had an incredible mentor with Derek Unglis. Um, I had an incredible team. But I think the selflessness of others at that company 
really um, ensuring that we had a whole new set of leaders that were good and learning, plus helping each other as executives was extraordinary. I mean, Roger, who runs the company today, is you know somebody I hold in high regard. Mike McDonald, who was the CEO at the time, I hold in high regard. I mean, there's list after list of people that really was, um, you know, again, selfless with sharing and making me a better leader at the time. And it was everything about just hiring good people. Don't overmanage, set the right strategy, get out of their way, make it safe for them to fail, uh, constantly inspire them to innovate, keep the customer at the center. Um, it, it was an extraordinary time. There were similarities between both, but there were some big differences as well. And I think, uh, Always looking in the mirror, you know, sort of, you know, get the board out of my own eye before I get the splinter out of somebody else's, you know, any situation as a leader, what could I have done differently? Could I have handled the situation differently? Could I have made them feel better? You know, it's it's a constant journey of always looking in the mirror and making sure that you keep yourself in check and be, and be very sort of humble. Leadership is an honor, you know, it's a privilege and an honor and an exciting thing. And taking that um, that honor seriously and really making it about making every single person around you a hero is something that inspires me every day. Yeah, take the take it seriously, but don't take ourselves so seriously, right? Yeah, that's yeah, me. Take that's what it. we do seriously, but not ourselves. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And yeah. I think one of the best parts about being a leader, it you know, to to really uh, inspire others is, you know, laugh at yourself first before anybody yeah. else gives a chance. Yeah. And the good thing is I have a lot of material to laugh at <laughs> right. myself, so it works out. We're discovering that. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of material there. <laughs> now, listen, since those experiences in your first CMO job at, at DSW, you've been CMO for brands that are really interesting. And the commonality is they were all really struggling. Right, yeah. trying to find their way. So Kmart and Sears, Pier One, and now even David's, and you're part of that team. Uh, you must, what is it about? Did you seek those out? Do you love turnarounds? Do you love challenges? Do you love coming from behind? Or was it sort of serendipity that that's just the kind of jobs you walked into? No, I think it's, I think it's the former, if I'm honest with you. I, I think that there is, and again, my first stint was at Continental. I saw the power of what it did to my my fellow colleagues, elevating the customer experience, you know, taking a, a company that had been negative EBITDA for almost six years and within one quarter we were positive. I mean, I think um, you know, I, I think that one of the one of the most amazing experiences I ever had as a leader that that stayed with me and makes me want to seek out companies that are in transformation was when we were at Continental, there were nine airlines in the United States and we were the ninth airline in on-time performance. We were the worst airline in the United States in on-time performance. And then a 10th airline was created and we slid right into 10th place. You know, we were the worst of the worst. And I remember Gordon going to the board saying, look, you know, we're spending $20 million a year putting up customers overnight when we have to cancel flights because we can't get them to their destination on time. He told the board, give me 10 of that. I'll give the shareholders the other 10 and let me reward employees when we get it right. And I remember hearing that people didn't believe it could happen. And he set out and he told employees, he said, we measure on-time performance every single month. When we get it right, when we are in the top three, and we were the 10th, right? If we're in the top three, I'm going to give every single employee of this company $65. And I remember people saying, nobody's going to care about $65. $65 is just nothing. Nobody cares about that. You know, and at the time, it's funny now because he was president, but Gordon at the time would say, well, even Donald Trump will bend over and pick up 320s and a five if it's laying on the ground, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but I remember him saying that. And do you know, in 30 days, we went to number three. And 30 days later, we went to number one with the exact same employee base. Exact same employee base. 
with just setting the vision, giving them the power to make it happen and rewarding them when we got it right. That has stayed with me my entire career. And I've, I can, I've seen what, what can happen if all those things line up. And yeah, I mean, each, each company I've been in has been unique. Um, they've been different. You know, there's a, there's sort of a lot of things that have to happen to transform. You know, it's not just, you know, Continental wasn't just Gordon, you know, you needed the right leader running operations. You need the right financial structure. You need capital to invest. And, and sort of what I'm finding now at David's is that all of those things are there. The, the management team is like this. We've got an outstanding supportive board. We've got a clear vision. We've got a category that we dominate and we're getting better and better at it. And it's built around positivity, hope, optimism, and joy at a time when our country needs those things more than ever. And yeah. that's what we stand for. So yes, I mean, some people would say I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't think that's the way I'd look at it. I love being a part of team I would much rather be the worst team in football and work hard to get to number one than get to a number one winning team. I, I, I'd much rather love the fight of figuring it out with, with a bunch of really smart, amazing people. You've talked about so many principles that guide your life as a leader so far in this podcast. If you had to pick one power lesson for other CMOs who are in turnaround businesses from your experience, what would that one power lesson be? Selflessness, by far. I, I mean, it is it is not about you on any level. I mean, yes, you're the leader and you're setting the vision, but in every situation, every Zoom call, every meeting, you're listening, you're learning, and you're seeing the power of people, you know, come together and solve problems. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've seen leaders that it's about you know, it's about them all the time and they want to have the answers and they want to ask the right questions and they want to answer those same questions. And I think it's really, it's just not about you at that level. It's about every single person around you being a hero and feeling remarkable about their accomplishments as little or as big as they may be. I want to talk about David's bridal in more detail now, finally. Uh, you've been there about 14 months, and about eight months ago, your scope expanded to be the CMO and the head of IT. Now, that mm -hmm. seems like a good idea these days. So why did David's make that decision? And why don't more companies do that? Oh, I wish I knew the answer to the last part of that question. I think that's a smart question to ask. Look, I, I think um, Jim Jim is an extraordinary visionary leader. And he's your CEO. He's our CEO, Jim yeah. Markham. And, you know, his, his vision was he came in and said, we need to transform this company. And he had a two-day meeting with every director and above in the company. They were behind closed doors for two days, and they basically built together that transformation plan. And it was, you know, explode digital, put the center, the customer at the center and so forth and so on. And mid to last year sometime, you know, what we were finding is that, you know, most of the output of IT is customer experience related, digital related, innovation related. And those things were sort of, you know, under my purview. And he came to me and he said, you know, I've, I've, I'm seeing that the transformation plan is customer digital and innovation. And we, we want to optimize IT's output to align with that transformation plan, right? So we prioritize the things that drive EBITDA or sales or profit. We prioritize things that improve the experience. And so what he decided to do was to combine those things. And now in my SLT meetings, my senior leadership meetings, my SLT standups, I've got my head of program management, my head of IT, my head of product. I have my head of digital solutions. I have my head of brand. I have my head of creative and data sciences. We're all having the same conversations and it makes us more efficient. It ensures the priorities are right, 
But more importantly, it syncs up and ensures that the tools that we're building in IT serve her in a way that drives the business. It's not a shot at prior IT leadership or anything like that. It's simply a pivot on how we were going to run the company differently. I mean, I had we had a meeting in one of my SLT standups and said, hey, customers want bride mojis, right? And my head of IT was on the call and he goes, hey, at my last company, I, I met a, a company that could build that for us. And we, we turned it around in 30 days and they were in the app store in 60. So it was really sort of a, a strategic pivot around that. I, I was in IT at one time, so I had prior experience in IT. Um, I obviously is, you know, you know, I've got the finance background as well. So I think the, I think all of that together, plus being head of digital, um, from a strategy perspective, Jim thought the leadership made sense Mm -hmm. and he made other pivots. He put supply chain with merchandising, he put logistics with finance. And so he really sort of cleaned all of it up. And I think it helped all of us be better, you know, be better. Yeah, much more integration. You went into that role about when the pandemic started. So did Mm -hmm. that help you with the speed and agility to launch those 25 improvements you talked about launching earlier in the podcast? I think so. I think you're spot on about that. Um, And it was really kind of dumb luck. (laughs) I mean, if I'm honest with you, I don't think it was anything we did. I think it was sort of a serendipitous moment that it all sort of started to play together because it, it completely eliminated our inefficiencies of IT. And in prior IT, I mean, they're, they're so good and their talent is so good, but they never said no. And every business person that came to them, they just added to the list and they try to hire more people so they would not disappoint our internal customers. But that wasn't necessarily the right answer. We needed to focus the output on the things that drove the business and not be wasteful. And that was basically the leadership pivot that was made. But yes, I think it was sort of dumb luck that it happened at a time where we were really able to fast track. Because IT understood the vision too, that you had the digital vision. And so they were better leaders. So tell us about your job at Davids. What what is the CMO and head of IT's job? What where do you focus? How do you spend your time? What do you love about the job? Tell us, bring us behind the curtain. If we were to follow you around, what would we find you spend your time on and, and, and see as important? Well, I'd feel sorry for you if you have to follow me around because you might want to kill yourself after an hour because I'd probably be so obnoxious. <laughs> no. But look, I um, spend time uh, and energy and effort uh, wanting everybody around me at any level, extremely confident that they can go achieve everything we need to achieve as a business. You know, confidence is going after, you know, Moby Dick and a rowboat and taking the tartar sauce with you, right? Like I want them to feel that energy. I want them to feel that perseverance and I want them to feel that that's, that they can conquer anything. That way when crazy things happen, like murder hornets and hurricanes and COVID one, two, three, that they, that they go, we got this. You know, we, we, we got this. So I spend a lot of my time creating environments and trying to lead by example so that thing goes through the organization in perpetuity, that it keeps giving and giving and giving. Um, the second thing I would say that I, I spend a lot of time and my focus on is, you know, working cross-functionally at my peer level to ensure that we are aligned because I've I've been in companies at the C-suite level before where somebody comes into the office and says, okay, you're saying this and that guy over there saying that and that guy over there saying that and you guys aren't aligned. Can you please get aligned so we know what to do? Um, That's not fun. You know, that's not fun for them. And I wouldn't want to be in that position either. So when things come up and there seems to be a little bit of whether it's cross communication, sometimes it's lost in translation. I spent time, okay, I'll call up Heather D, who's our SVP of stores and said, okay, I think this is where we are, but want to make sure, are we feeling good about this? No. Okay, got it. We're going to go make a pivot. And we're slacking all day long. Slack completely revolutionized how we run our business. I'm so addicted to it. Um, so I would, I would say I'd do that. And then the third thing is I spend a lot of time looking around the next five corners, right? Because my, my job is to paint that castle on the hill for them and to set the tone. For example, we had an all day strategy meeting with my team and we've launched augmented reality in 3d. Now we're starting to think about 
how do we build virtual reality weddings, actually allow her to put a headset on her phone and she's standing inside a wedding as if she's an attendee. So she can see through VR and get inspired. That's what we're working on next. You know, that's the, that's the next thing that's coming. And people get so jazzed about that kind of stuff because they can see the future and that does a lot to motivate. And here's the other thing, you have to nurture the souls of high potential people around you. You have to, or they'll go someplace else. So I have to keep their souls nurtured and, and keep them feeling um, like they're, you know, making that sort of undeniable impact to the business, which they are. What trips up a lot of CMOs, and this is out of the research from Deloitte and Spencer mm -hmm. Stewart, is confidence and, and ability to work across functions, which you just talked about, especially with a CFO. Mm -hmm. What is it about, I know you, you know, if there's an emergency, you call someone and say, Let the, let's make sure we're on the same page in this. You just talked about that. But what do you do beyond that to make sure your relationship with your peers is full of trust and, and, and uh, communication and conviction? What are some of your tips and habits? That so that is an excellent question. And I will I will tell you um my experience, I found the more um so the best way to say this, the more the, the the more of an analytical approach you take to CMO, the usually the better outcomes you will get. That I guess that's sort of the short version. Um, I, you know, uh, if, if you go strictly by creative only um, and, and you don't have the mindset, the fiscal mindset that you need, then you can get to a point where it's about, oh, I have to go on this location shoot and I have to go to this location shoot in Los Angeles and I have to spend the million point seven on this commercial because that's the best possible commercial that we're going to have, which that makes a CFO like want to cry, right? Because if your ROAS is $10, you've got to create an incremental $11 million in sales to pay for that cost that you we just generated versus coming at the perspective of having a fiscal mindset saying, we need to create the most magical commercial ever about the relaunch of Bridesmaids. How can we do this in a fiscally responsible way, but deliver the, the emotion of magical moments? I know, let's go grab 27 Bridesmaids micro-influencers, hire them for $100, and then they're out marketing it for... So that kind of... That kind of example is where you start to build trust. And it's, I found, and this is my experience, it's worked for me. When I go across the aisle to Bob, who runs, he's our chief retail officer. He is amazing. If I come to it and I come to a problem and I say, look, Bob, I know I can't increase labor in your store for a task that's not going to drive a sale. Here's what I'm trying to solve. Do you have any ideas on how I could do that? So we deliver what we need to do, but I don't cause your labor to go up. You see what I'm, you see the difference versus some CMOs are like, I said it, this is what I'm going to do. And you got to go do it because I'm the CMO and it's my call and I make it. And the, yeah, that's true. It is your call. But I very, 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 very few decisions I make, strategic decisions. I can't even think of one actually. Very, very few strategic decisions I make as a CMO that don't involve either Nancy, the chief merchant, or Bob, the chief retail, or Charlie, the CFO. I just, it's just everything we do strategically is in sync. And that's how we build trust because we know we're all trying to do the same thing and get to the same goal. Great principles, great lessons. What's been your best day in the 14 months you've been at David's? I always ask this question when I interview people and I've never been asked it. Oh, Look at you. Well, here you go. Here you go. First time <laughs> here in the podcast. Look at you. It's go. a great question though, isn't it? I love that it question. It is. I, I love asking this question in interviews. I'll say, what's the best day of your career? And then I also ask, what's the worst day of your career? Yeah, that's coming. That's coming. No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> you weren't going to do that. 
Uh, my best day since da- since I went to David's bridal. Um, there are a lot of them, but I think one of the best days was so right after COVID hit, we had to shut all of our stores down and we had to furlough basically 95% of our company, which was a really, really hard day. And the very next day we were thinking, okay, we let's work so damn hard that we can hire everybody back. Like, let's just, that's our job. We're going to hire everybody back. And I remember being in a meeting and we were talking about how the hell are we going to serve these brides without them coming into the store? Because part of the experience, just like your daughter-in-law, they go in the store and they see the dress and they try it on. How are we going to do that? And one of the people on the call, her name was Heather Braddock, who is like beast mode 24-7. She's so good. She says, let's create, let's create virtual appointments and we will FaceTime customers and we will bring the, because the store managers could actually go into the store, but we just couldn't have clients. Mm -hmm. And she said, we'll do virtual appointments and we'll bring the dresses to the camera. We'll show them all of that. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it virtually. From that meeting, 10 days later, we were doing a press release on it. We had had the idea, built the business requirements, built the technology, executed the test and the QA, and launched it in 10 days. And that was one of my best days because I saw the power of this culture. I saw the power of these high-performing people that we had on the business and how excited they were. And the day after we launched it, the pride, because we had thousands of women sign up that day Oh, that was such a good day. It was just such, I felt so happy for them. And um, it was just a joyful day to watch how fast they could do it, you know, come up with the idea and do it. That's probably one of my favorites. And I see why that's that's a powerful day. How about on the downside, what's been your worst day? You knew this was coming. You asked the same question, so (laughs) you can't duck this one. I know. I think, I think the, um, I think the hardest day was, you know, I had it. The, it was probably the day we had to furlough people, and you know, I made the decision to call every single person I furloughed personally. I, I did not have HR do it, um, and you know, I it was you know probably eighty people. You know, um, it was over half of marketing, and uh, I I it was difficult not. Not from the perspective that, you know, I, we didn't have to do it because of the business. We had to do it because it's the right thing for the future of our company. But I wanted them to know it's not a skill thing. It has, like, you are extraordinary. You have talents that we need to drive this business. It has nothing to do with that. And girl, we are working our fannies off to get you back into this business. And that's our focus. And just know that that's our focus. And it, it, was, a, it was a sad day from the perspective that you had to make 80 of those calls. But on the other hand, we've been able to bring people back and that makes it worth it because you can call. So I remember a girl would call it back in copywriting and, um, you know, it was just, she was tears of joy that she was able to come back. So that was probably the hardest day only because I just, I didn't want them to know that it was about them and that we were going to work hard to get them back as fast as possible. Yeah, that was a long day and I'm sure a very emotionally draining day, 80 calls. It was, but it, you know, it was the right thing to do. To yeah, absolutely. Now, listen, you talked about your diamond program up front in the podcast. You've re- recently launched a, a loyalty points program, which, you know, categories like credit cards and airlines, that's almost table stakes. But in a bridal business, it sounds counterintuitive, which you it said when you, when you brought it up. So tell us, this is interesting. Tell us why and what you are learning so far. So this is a very yummy example of all the things I've been talking about, about, you know, having remarkable people. We were in a meeting and, you know, our brand ethos at David's is we exist for magical moments. That's our purpose. That's our reason for existence. Simon Sinek would be so proud of us because we have a purpose. It's simple and it's memorable and it's meaningful, right? Yeah, exactly. You got it all. 
Exactly. And so we were sitting in a meeting and we were thinking, if we were going to blow her mind, like if we were literally going to blow the bride's mind, what would we do? Like, what would we do? And somebody on the team said, well, let's give her a free honeymoon. She's been stressed out. She's planning this wedding for a year. Um, she's spending all this money. Let's give her a free honeymoon to Jamaica or Hawaii or wherever it may be. And we thought, I like that. So how would we do that? And we started thinking, well, maybe we could reward her for all the purchases for her entire wedding because she has a dress. Mom has a dress. Mom of groom has a dress. Bridesmaids have a dress. Flower girl. And every woman that attends a wedding goes and buys a new dress. And we have dresses that are not formal wear. So we have everyday dresses. And we started thinking, well, wait a minute. If all these people are buying things, for example, your daughter, daughter-in-law, daughter, mm-hmm. daughter-in-law's wedding, why not give the bride the credit for all the purchases for that wedding? And then we thought, well, that's cool, because even if she doesn't spend the money herself, she gets the credit, right? And that was the nugget, a diamond. We thought, we'll build a loyalty program around the bride's event, the wedding itself, not just her, but her event. And she can send out a beautiful little card in her wedding invitations that says, Hey, my, you know, I'm in the diamond program. I'm, you know, help us earn a free honeymoon by using my cell phone when you buy a David's. And that's how it happened. And that's what diamond is. You earn a point for every purchase for your wedding. Anybody that gives us your cell phone number, you get the points and points accrue. And at 3000 points, you get a whole bunch of free stuff. At 4000 points, you get a whole lot more free stuff. And at 5000 points, you get a free honeymoon. And do you know that we've had five since December 8th? No kidding. Five already reached free honeymoon. Wow. <laughs> and, who does, and who doesn't want, as, you know, as, as someone as, that's part of a wedding, invited as a friend or family, you want to help the couple. So it's you a good insight it. about the people who are part of the wedding as well. Smart call out. Very smart that you saw that. That is absolutely true. We do the same thing for registry, right? Yeah. You know, right. you help with exactly. the registry. So yeah, it's the same exactly. thing. We've had, as of this morning, we launched on December 8th, 75,725 people sign up. It is extraordinary. Whoa. Oh, well yeah. done. Congratulations. <laughs> no, great, great lesson. Hey, you, you just love your job. I mean, that just comes through this uh, Zoom you know, discussion we're having, and our listeners will feel that too. Have you loved every job to this extent? Is this just what you bring to your work or you don't? I do. I mean, I I mean, I'm honest to say that, you know, some jobs are, uh, um, have, you know, unintended stresses that you didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some that, um, when I look back, I, I enjoyed the journey and I loved the people I worked with, but there were other sort of, uh, circumstances that made the, the job tough. Tougher than tougher than I would have expected, um, but I would also say, as I mentioned when I started, every every single thing I've experienced in my career has gotten me to the point where I am right now, and I love it. I love that. And I when before I accepted the role at David's, um, I turned down a CEO job based out of Texas. Um, it was a, a two hundred million dollar company. It was a lot smaller. But it was um, mature, is how I would describe it. There was no innovations. It was a you know a model that made a lot of money, um, and they they were like you know we don't want a lot of changes. Just come in and sort of maintain it. And it was interesting. You asked me that question earlier about the types of companies I've been drawn to. I turned that down to take David's. And that company was in my backyard. It was in Texas, mm-hmm. and you know I took the Philly job. Because it goes back again, you know, being a part of a team that achieves things that are, uh, that they thought were unachievable is such, it's so much mojo and so much exciting. And I I love that part. I love it. I'm addicted to that. I love it. Kelly, we're going to move to the lightning round. And the first question is, you were a runway model in college. What is your funniest (laughs) memory of that? That was a thousand years ago. 
ago. <laughs> no, no, no. So you you did that to help get through college. What is your funniest memory of being a runway model? Oh, how the hell do you know all this stuff? How yeah. do you know this? Yes, there is a very... <laughs> Oh my God, you are so damn funny. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My very first runway show, I'll never forget it. They were playing Sheila E., uh, a song by Sheila, Danger. Uh, I said I would forget, I just, Glamorous Life, that's what it is. I'm old. Uh, she wants to live the glamorous life. You know that's Keep going. And no, 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 no. I'm stopping. I don't want your listeners to like withdraw from your podcast because I'm awful singing. Uh, but. I was I was walking out and they were playing Glamorous Life by Sheila E. And it was when Tina Turner was making her big comeback in the 80s. And they had my hair teased like 12 feet high. Yeah. And I had the leather mini skirt on and the high heels and the denim jacket. And I walked up the stairs, turned right and rocked right onto the one ray. And my legs went pew. And then they, they flew up above me and I fell flat on my tuchus right there in front of everybody and everybody was laughing and pointing at me and all the other stuff. And I remember like, oh my God, I've just fallen. And so I just kind of stood up and shook myself off like I meant to and just walked on down the And years later, I was telling that story at a conference and somebody yelled out, you're runway roadkill. And uh, that's actually my nickname now. All this time later, that's my nickname is runway roadkill. And that's how it you, happened. You, you got the CLM award for that, right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> that's a great that, way to. That's a great story. And I, I'm not surprised you just got up and kept going, right? You have to. You can't yeah, just like, sure. sit there and pout and be sad. You're just like, yeah, I fell. Yeah, I meant to. I have a great falling story, but we'll share that after the podcast is over. It's, it's an epic one like that. What's uh, the favorite thing you do with those great kids of yours these days? Oh. I can, that's so easy because my triplet's birthday was last weekend. Oh. And my favorite thing to do is when we are all together. Now there's 10 of us, right? Because there's five kids and then five plus ones. Um, and then my husband and I, and we've got a dining room table that actually seats 12. I, I bought it from somebody on Facebook Marketplace for 200 bucks from a law firm that was redecorating. And so it's this <laughs> long like table that you would see in a law office. But sitting around the table and listening to the conversation and you're listening to these people talk and you're like, you're so interesting and you're so, I love your points of view. And then you think, I made them. Oh my mm. God, I love them. That is like the best feeling in the whole world. And any listener out there who has small babies, you are going to experience that one day and it is going to feel so good. You're like... I, that person is a yummy human and I made them with my husband. This is awesome. <laughs> no, I know that feeling. Mine are also grown. And I'm, I was just looking at the Huggy Super Bowl commercial this morning, which is so sweet. You have to take a look at it. It's yeah. so sweet. And you know, the, the phase with babies is wonderful, but when they're grown up and you have those moments as you just described, where you're enjoying their company, you realize they're wonderful human beings, they're curious, they're giving, they love each other. I mean, it's a, it's, there's no better feeling. Oh, well said. And you it still, doesn't mean they don't razz each other. Because no, that's good. The that's first, good too. That's yeah, all part of love. It is. Our fam fam chat is hysterical. Like when the, some of the stuff that go, I'm in a meeting and I'll look down and I'm like giggling my booty <laughs> off. I'm like, they're ruthless. They're ruthless with each other. But it's oh, out yeah, of yeah. love and it's so fun. Yeah. So who has been the most influential mentor in your life? Bob Marcus, hands down. Hands down, Bob Marcus. He was the CEO and founder of Brimstone Consulting. I think he sold it now and he's the CEO of Involve, uh, N-V-O-L-V. Uh, um, he is hands down the best mentor for women ever. Like ever, he understands, he's got an incredible relationship with his wife and it's given him a sense of understanding about female executives that is unprecedented with anybody I've ever met. Um, he is extraordinary. Women should look him up, find him on LinkedIn, talk to him. He is, he's got such an incredible understanding of how women tend to think and how we're sort of wired and how we can cut through and gain that confidence earlier in our leadership career. 
Um, he's very giving. He's very selfless. He's very soulful. Um, it's just an extraordinary human being. Um, just an impressive person. Where did very, you first very, meet him, Kelly? Good question. So I, he was, so when I was at Waste Management, I was a vice president there and we had hired Brimstone to do, we called them um, like performance research groups, I think is what they were called. And we basically took our six strategic transformation initiatives and we created sub teams and Brimstone had people that helped lead those sub teams with the internal leader. And it helped us sort of divide and conquer our strategy so we could get to the finish line faster. And that's where I met him. And we just created a friendship and a bond. And, you know, I was at Waste Management, what, in 96? I mean, that's 24 years ago. Um, and uh, no, later than that. It was later than that. When it was 2006, I think, when I got there. But we've just had this friendship years uh, over the years. And you know, he, again, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He's just an extraordinary person for, for female executives and female C-suite. What are you reading these days or listening to or watching that is inspiring or helpful or educational or just plain entertaining? You're going to totally laugh when I tell you this. No, I won't. <laughs> I just finished reading John Daly's biography last night. Oh, wow. The golfer. Yeah, yeah. He... Uh, you know, I mean, the you know, here's the thing. I'm a, I am a voracious reader. I read a book probably every two weeks. Um, I love biographies, autobiographies. I'm I'm really addicted to nonfiction. I am so moved and inspired by people on how they deal with life and all the things that happens with life. Um, how they encounter problems, how they how they work through challenges. Because that's part of the tenets of being a good leader, right? Sure. And I, I really look for ways that I can leverage a story and be a better leader. And, you know, he, he talks about in his book, you know, he's been divorced, married a few times, fell in love with a few times, divorced a few times. And he said, you know, the best way to handle is I just wrote a song that said all my exes have Rolexes, you know, <laughs> Rolexes, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, but it was like this sort of like, you know, when when life hits you like that, you just look at the face, you know, look at it in the face and say, you know, I got this. You know, what else are you going to throw at me? So it's always learning from every book you read. Um, so I just finished that one last night. So I've got to find an I've got a whole stack next to my bed and i that's one of my favorite things is after i finish one i get to go look at the stuff i know i say, love that it's like shopping I mean, in your own home right? it is yeah it yeah. is that's exactly what it's like i love yeah. it okay i'll give you the last word kelly anything for me any question for me to close out i really 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 appreciate what you're doing with the cmo podcast because that is a uh it's a really tough role right now there's a lot of changes with CMOs as far as what we're responsible for, the competencies we need. Um, you have to be a little, you have to be a strategist. You have to be a finance person. You have to be creative. You have to be a problem solver. It's a, you know, the shelf life is not, it's decreasing a little bit for them. Yep. And I'm, I'm really proud that you've got a venue um, available to all of us that help expose us to people that can help us and make us better because it's a, it's a tough role. Um, and so I really appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you. Anyone you would like to hear that we haven't had on? I would say, I would I don't, I wouldn't say it's a person. I would say finding people running marketing in like these smaller companies, because I think sometimes when you get into bigger companies, you kind of, you can kind of lose the spark that fuels mm -hmm. your soul a little bit. And I've met some extraordinary people that are running marketing at that of smaller companies. And when I say smaller, I'm saying, you know, 75 million or less. Yep. The things they come up with and these innovative ideas they come up with to drive their business are extraordinary. And here's the thing, you know, when you're a small business, my $1,000 I'm spending on social media around my store and the $1,000 you're spending it doesn't matter if I'm a big company or not. The targeting is the same. So there's all, you know, those barriers are broken down between big companies and small companies. And it's, it's really interesting. So I would just say, like, find those guys because they're extraordinary. Thank you, Kelly, for that idea. And thank you for this marvelous hour. It's, it's been good fun. <laughs> it's been inspiring and, uh, and full of leadership principles. So thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. That was my conversation with Kelly Cook. Three takeaways for you to apply in your business. First one, 
the importance of clarity and consistency in messaging as a leader. Kelly spoke about leaders in her life who were incredibly consistent and clear, and she tries to be that herself with her team. Second takeaway, the incredible power of nurturing the souls of your people. I loved how she used those words, nurturing the souls. She thinks about every day when she wakes up, how she can bring out the full potential of her team, and she walks the talk. The third takeaway, find a way to incentivize and reward creativity, innovation, and yes, failure. Kelly's a master at this. She instituted an award for productive failure. She has fun with it. She makes sure that she builds a culture where people feel free to stretch and try to do their best focused on the customer. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.